everybody. This is the Alto Performance Insights Podcast. Daniel, it's good to see you. Yeah, good to see you. How's everything going? It's going well. I hope it is for you. Uh, this week, we are very excited to be joined by a good friend of ours and, and former mentor to us both, Patrick Ryder. Uh, Patrick is part of the faculty at East Carolina University in the Department of Kinesiology, where he's also uh, assistant chair and Patrick, I'll let you kind of give your own background here in a second, but one of the things I'd like you to touch on in this um, is how your own academic background is, is a little bit different than most faculty in the Department of Kinesiology, um, and kind of talk about your two different master's degrees and why you went that route, if you would. Sure. Uh, first of all, thanks to you guys. Uh, it's great to have, be on here with you guys and, and love what you guys are doing with Alto. And, Thank you. Um, I really enjoy seeing all the, the data visualizations that come out from you guys um, just kind of playing around with different sport data. So uh, kudos to you guys for, for kind of starting your own thing. Um, so as you asked, uh, my background is a little different um, in terms of your traditional faculty member. I do have a master's degree in biomechanics um, from or exercise science with a concentration in biomechanics. And then I also have a degree in software engineering, um, a master's degree in software engineering. And you know, my approach to education, and, and you and I have talked about this before um, several times, but uh, there's really two schools of thought, right? The vertical kind of path where you kind of take deep down, uh, deep dives into a topic, um, you get very specialized, uh, and that's kind of what the, the PhD track is. You become an a absolute expert in uh, a content area, and then you have a, a more kind of horizontal uh, approach to education, and, and that's kind of where I sit. Um, I like to know enough about a topic to, you know, be able to discuss it with a variety of, of people. However, um, also like to be able to supplement that content area with, with technical expertise and things like that. So that's why I chose to get the, the two different degrees kind of in seemingly opposite or, or just individualized areas. Um, but there's a lot of overlap. And I think that's what one of the things we'll talk about today quite a bit. Yeah, uh, excellent. And that's definitely, again, it's a conversation you and I had a long time for those that don't know, Patrick was my master's advisor. Uh, and, and even just before we get into some of that story, how has the integration between those areas changed in the last 10, 15 years since you've been kind of out of, out of school now and, and working as a professional, as a faculty member, just the, the integration between things like software engineering and, and uh, broad, more applied science field like kinesiology? Yeah, so that's a great question. One of, the, one of the things that even led me to get a master's degree in software engineering, maybe go back to school, was um, we had reached a point, and I was hired as a lab manager right out of my master's degree, and then I became an a instructor in the department kind of the, the year after that. The, they liked me enough to keep me around, so to speak. Um, but I've been doing biomechanics research for about six years before I decided to go back to school and the types of questions that we started asking and, and thinking about just couldn't be answered with just kind of the traditional methodologies that we we've talked about. And you guys have discussed on the, on the show, right? The different standard motion capture, um, you know, inverse dynamics analysis. Uh, I don't want to say it's necessarily dated, dated, but there are new questions that, additional technical skills are required to answer in biomechanics. And I think that's where I started. I, I did a couple of simulation projects um, and I realized I started looking at uh, code that people were writing and that we were using 
and it was just kind of all over the place. And I said, you know what, it would be nice to get some uh, more formal training to, to learn how the professionals that create software for a living, the ideas and the techniques that they utilize and see if we can give biomechanics in particular movement science, a little more standardization in the type of code that we write. Um, and so that's, you know, kind of what led me to get my, my master's in software engineering. Um, and then, you know, once I got that kind of skill set under my tools, then we started asking new questions. So we started looking at virtual reality implementations and, and things like that. And so I think exercise science, and you guys have commented on this before, is moving in that direction, right? Where we bring in all these different kind of technologies and take all that data that we're getting these days from all these different systems. And we start to need ways to be able to create stuff to analyze that data, to do stuff with that data, whether it's either using it for uh, feedback to augment training, or is it uh, to look at posts, you know, and, and analyze and then make new changes to the types of research that we're doing or the, the performance or on field, uh, you know, decisions that we're making. So I think, you know, sport analytics kind of in general, um, is kind of overtaking all these different areas and in, uh, in research in on-field performance that kind of stuff so yeah the te the technical aspect of things are are expanding almost into every aspect of sports or at least sports science you know it's like you just rattled off 10 things that are completely different from one another so like we use tech to make the research that we do uh, more lifelike in the lab so whether that's incorporating VR, whether it's using different types of technology. Uh, Chris and I were talking the other day about integrating uh, ultrasound technology with traditional motion capture. Motion capture is certainly not dated, but it's, you know, it's been used for decades now. And for sure. now we're charting, starting to implement new technologies in conjunction with that to produce like kind of the next level. Yep. Right? So it can be used for research methodology. The tech can be used for like out of lab testing, uh, signal processing, uh, data analytics on the backside. So you have got a bunch of outcome variables from thousands of athletes. How do you analyze it now? How do you create statistical models that, that you can use for decision, data-driven decision-making? So it's like, it's spread into everything. You know, it's not just, you need to, you need to know how to filter data from this piece of equipment if you want to run this analysis. <laughs> right, 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 yeah. It's, it's just spread into all, all sorts of uh, aspects related to sports science. And that's, yeah, I'm, I'm definitely right there with you. It's kind of my philosophy too and, and how I teach my students um, and how we even, you know, the, the research teams that we've kind of created here at ECU over the last five years or so, right? They're, they're much more multidisciplinary. There's much more um, attacking the same problem from multiple angles, right? Where you don't have to be an expert in everything, but, you know, you have to have some kind of common language. And, and that common language a lot of times is, either code or it's the, the numbers that you're looking at um, and how to process them, how to, how to talk about them. So uh, I think in sport specifically, there's so much variability um, and noise, so to speak, that you have to, especially with all the new technologies that, that we're utilizing to track movement, to track uh, sport and just in different ways, um, having a way to analyze that data in an efficient manner I think that's where the computer science aspect comes in. Um, and so you, the computer science is kind of the glue that holds together neuroscience and biomechanics and physiology. Um, it's that same language that kind of everybody's speaking to 
to solve these big problems. Yeah, I'm interested too in like the uh, the first thing that you mentioned uh, today is like your view of education and maybe it's just your view of learning in general, how you, like it almost seems like you like learning how to learn new things. Yeah. And I'm wondering if, you know, like a big part of your ability to take code and apply it to different scenarios um, relates to that in any way, right? Like you're basically learning how to use something common across a bunch of different fields. Sure. And I, th I, grew, I grew up like that, man. So, you know, my whole life I've been trying to learn things and try to, Hey, can I apply this technique or this tool or whatever? Can I build this Lego set with this Lego set? Right. And, and combine <laughs> it to, um, and so, you know, it, drove my mom crazy when I was young, uh, to be, to be honest. But, um, you know, I always like to, to take things apart, see how they work and then put them back together. And I, I realized in going through school and my educational path, um, you know, being an expert is, is great in one thing and, and science and research and sport need experts like content area to experts, but they also need people like me that kind of come in and connect the dots between the experts, so to speak. Right that can apply themselves to a, a project in physiology and link that data with something in psychology, sports psychology, right? So we're looking at um, some of the research, one of the projects that we're looking at right now is actually a psychology slash biomechanics project, right? And so, um, you know, having, being able to, and I, I don't know everything about psychology, I never will profess to, to know a lot about psychology, <laughs> but I know how to speak biomechanics in such a way that psychologists can find that information useful right and so i think that's kind of the next frontier in a lot of in kinesiology research right it's it's one thing to to know how people walk it's another thing to know why they walk the way they walk you know um what what factors motivate it because that becomes a more holistic picture of of a problem as opposed to just one little aspect yeah, yeah. It's, it's interesting you're saying that sorry chris i keep cutting you off it's uh we, we we've been doing some similar stuff uh in our lab specifically related to why people walk the way that they walk and the decisions that they make when they walk. Um, yeah. And we've been talking a little bit about trying to apply economic theories. There you go. To walking yeah. data. So it's, yeah, it is, we're definitely moving toward like things are getting much more integrated uh, in part because we've got the technology to, to integrate these things. Um, but also because that's where we need to go to, to progress forward with the science interesting that you brought that up we're doing we're doing some similar stuff awesome yeah and i mean the other thing i think that you hit on there is, is the ability to communicate the knowledge right um and it's one thing for you to be able to speak um you know biomechanics to psychologists or, or to lay people or whatever but i think one of the other things that you stressed uh, quite a bit when we were at ecu um, was also to be able to communicate science through visualizations yep. and there's so much technology available today and, and becoming more available, whether it's, whether it's working in R or Tableau or Power BI or any of these data visualization uh, software tools, but they're all still like computer programming driven. And one of the things I know that, that you talked about quite a bit through your education aspect for us as students was the, the language that you initially taught us was MATLAB, but you weren't trying to teach us MATLAB. You were trying to teach us the skill set to think as a computer or software programmer and uh, I mean just how, how would you speak to even like for students today that I mean we grew up looking at things on apps whether it's 
538.com or ESPN or, or anything, you know, like we see things visualized. But then I, I felt, at least as a, as a student coming in, I didn't have a great skill set outside of PowerPoint <laughs> in, in terms of how to initially do that. Um, for people out there trying to trying to grow some of those skill sets, what kind of tips, you know, if someone feeling overwhelmed, how would you, where would you suggest that they kind of start learning to expand that skill set? That's a great question, man. And, and the crazy thing is, is computer science or, or learning any kind of technical skill, and you guys have probably experienced this, right? You get kind of, it's like a, uh, it kind of looks like a, the um, length tension relationship <laughs> um, of muscle. So not to get too technical with that, but um, you have like, initially you learn something in programming, like you learn how to assign variables and you learn how to write a couple loops and you can make these very simple programs. And you think you're like on this really big, <laughs> like this, oh, I know everything about programming. It's a couple more months and I'm gonna be a master, right? And then all of a sudden you hit a new problem and, and the learning curve kind of goes like that. And you start to feel overwhelmed and, or you'll be reading a blog or you'll be following a tutorial and, and you'll wonder like, okay, I can do this perfectly. I can follow these steps. Now, how can I make this thing that this guy's talking about? Right. So, um, and so that's where I think that dip in kind of like where you get stuck on a, on a weightlifting move, right? Like when you, that sticking region, so to speak, it's, it's true in, in technical learning too. Right. So you have to find ways to kind of push yourself through those, those sticking regions anytime that you you get you you, you get stuck while learning something new um and so I, I think from from my perspective is and what i try to tell my students you know challenge yourself with with problems but make them progressible problems right so things that you have the capability to all right this is where i'm trying to get but you have to understand the path to get there and so as you get stuck leave it, like go do something else, go play basketball and then come back to it and then think about it again, read a blog, read how to find new information and how to get you past those sticking points, I think is one of the, the most critical skills you can develop in college, in life in general. Um, and so how do we learn new information? What kind of sources are our go-to information? I know for me, um, I don't know if you guys remember this from class, but, uh, what did I tell you was always open anytime I wrote any computer code. I always have Google open, right? <laughs> yeah. um, every single time. And, and you know, because you're going to reach something, you're going to Google it and you're going to see how somebody else does. It. And that's the, that's the awesome thing about this time right now. Um, the amount of resources available to learn new programming languages and to get help and to build communities of people um, solving problems that, you know, might not be interested in your problem at all, but they can look at your code in two seconds and say, oh, you're doing this wrong, right? Um, and they're willing to do that, right? So you have these wonderful platforms nowadays that, that you can really have a lot of good resource, good professional networking with that people outside your, your kind of field. Like you don't have to do it at a conference anymore to, to get these connections. Um, and so, you know, that's what I would say, you know, when you're learning something new, figure out a way to get unstuck right? Get, get through the problems because a lot of people, they, they encounter these obstacles, man, this is so hard. This is so overwhelming. Um, I met this jerk online that wouldn't help me with my code that said it was, <laughs> was easy. Uh, you know, and, and figure out a way to get around that. Follow people on Twitter that are not necessarily doing, let's say you're interested in sport analytics, follow the sports analyst people, but then follow the people that wrote the language that the people that are using, uh, sports analytics are doing. Right. So, um, you know, like if you're learning R, 
follow not only people using R, right, but follow the people that created R. Um, follow people in other fields that are using it to solve problems, okay? And there's a lot of potential learning opportunities for you um, to see different examples, to see how code is kind of integrated in these different domains, and that will help you in your path to acquiring more knowledge. Yeah, it's, it's um, I think one of the things that I do that I picked up from you, so first of all, anytime we went to Patrick with a question about code, his first oh, question man. always, 100% of the time was, did you Google it and what did you find? And show me, show me the three ways that you've tried to do this before coming to me. So it's like one of the, one of the great things about code is that uh, you get instant feedback, right? So, okay, if I'm stuck on a problem, one of the things I do is I look up on Google how to do this. How to, literally language I'm using, let's say MATLAB, help, and then the exact thing that I'm trying to do. That's all I do. And nine times out of 10, the answer's right there. Someone's done it. Yep. So it's the one time out of 10, I take something that someone else has written, I mess, it, mess around with it so it fits into my code, and then I run it. And you get instant feedback. Did it work? Did it do what you wanted it to do? Or didn't it? If it didn't, you keep playing. If it did, then you know you make sure that it did what you wanted it to do, and then you keep going. Um, so that's another thing that I really like about coding. It's the, it's the instant feedback that you get. Yep. You know, in yeah, in, the, in, in that lab, you get the nice little dinging noise with oh, red text. Yeah. Yep. Uh, <laughs> uh, but yeah, I, I think one of the one of the big misunderstandings when people are learning to program is that you can literally Google your exact problem, and nine times out of ten, the answer is already there. Right. Yeah, and I think uh, just from my own personal experience, picking up new languages, uh, I think in addition to just like, like you're right, sometimes you got to just put it down when you're stuck. Come back an hour later, or a day later, or a week later. Uh, but also, like Daniel was just saying, sometimes there's there's solutions out there that somebody else has written. They just have to kind of adjust to your own problem. And and so in the learning aspect, I would say adjust to something you're interested in. Uh, like there's a lot of great tutorials out there about the weather forecast or whatever, just because that's just common information everybody's familiar with. It may not help it stick the most, though. You know, so you may have to turn that into fantasy football stuff or whatever it is. And I know Patrick, that's something that uh, you, you've got code written for all kinds of projects that I don't even think you knew were projects at the time, but you just felt like sitting down and doing something. Uh, and that also just helps keep it sharp too. So I don't know. I just, I guess want to throw out there. What's, what's the most unique thing you think you've ever done kind of in, in the, it doesn't even have to be in the sports realm, but with some of your computer science background that to, to solve a problem, to make life easier, whatever it is. Mm. Well, so you brought the fantasy football thing up and I was oh, tired of I know losing. that's your sweet spot. Yeah, I was, I was tired of losing my fantasy league. Um, and so <laughs> uh, I still quite, I'm a Raiders fan. So if you guys don't know, I'm a Raiders fan. So football, I have a love-hate relationship with um, anyway. Uh, but, you know, fantasy football is, if you're a Raiders fan over the last 15 years, you know, you, you tend to get more interested in fantasy football pretty early in the season than you're at your actual <laughs> team's doing. Um, but anyway, so I, I started writing some code and I wanted to learn a new language, um, Python at the time. And so I was like, you know, I'm going to figure out a way to do some web scraping. Um, this is before they had all the nice web scraper packages that they have nowadays. Um, I want to do some web scraping so I can collect data from these different sources that I use and then create a, my own kind of prediction model, like forecasting model, um, include things like weather reports and, and some things that I thought were missing from uh, your standard 
fantasy forecasting, right? But I thought, you know, that would be a cool kind of fun project to do. Uh, so, you know, I just went through and it, the first, uh, I learned a lot about web scraping and how when companies or websites change the format of their data, you got to rewrite all your code and it's obnoxious. <laughs> but, um, you know, so that, but those are the kind of things that I didn't know that was a problem when I started the, the, the exercise, right? Um, how to do use web services to get weather data in and can I pull in stat data and what costs money and how to use the API. And so all these things that were like these weird kind of abstract technical terms um, that I'd seen about on blogs that people were just kind of rattling off, right? These computer science kind of terms. Um, I was like actually using it in practice, right? Um, calling a web service and realizing what it does and reading about it. Um, and then actually implementing it. And the first time I remember pulling a weather report for the different NFL cities, I was so jacked up. I was like, oh, it's cloudy. And my wife was like, what are you talking about? Um, so, you know, I think that is, is one example. Um, another example from like a more professional side, uh, when we created the virtual environment um, that is controlled using force plate data, right? So um, it's a very, very simple kind of, Thing. If you lean forward, your character moves forward, right? But everything's in a virtual environment and everything um, was really, you know, everything was real time um, going through the parameters and learning about how to uh, connect these different pieces of equipment through, you know, code, right? And that's, that's the cool thing. So being creative, uh, this is, I'm not a good musician, uh, not a good singer, not a good artist. But, uh, you know, I could take a text file and turn it into something that pulls in a bunch of different things and makes something pretty cool. So to me, you know, you, you said the thing that you like about coding, you get that instant gratification. For me, it's like creating something out of nothing, right? So yeah. it gives me a creative outlet, lets me solve problems in a kind of unique way. And uh, so that's where I'm at with that. Wow, that's so interesting. That's, uh, yeah, I, I guess I, I'm, I guess I'm kind of the same way. I've, I like I like to think that I'm creative, but I, I cannot draw. I can't play a right. musical instrument. I can't, I can't do any of that. So. I'm sure you can't dance. Yeah, no way. <laughs> right. So, well, that's, that's an interesting way to think about that. Yeah. Yeah. Uh, makes a lot of sense, though. And congratulations to the Raiders. A little, little upset this past week. You know, yes. they, they give you just little enough upset. hope to, to keep you, you know, hanging on. They do it uh, once a year, them. man. Love that the Raiders fan here is talking to two Browns fans about what it's like to have a loving relationship with football. <laughs> right. Or any other sport in Cleveland. It's a good year for us. It makes sense that in 2020, the Browns and the Raiders would be good, right? Just perfect uh, kind of encapsulation of this year. Yeah. It's part of the simulation, man. <laughs> <laughs> right. That's so true. So, so Patrick, one of, the, one of the things you touched on a little bit earlier, uh, sports analytics and how that's growing. Uh, even aside from something like sports mm -hmm. science, but just the, the true, like there's so many just statistical outputs these days and, and analyzing all of them. Uh, I know that that's a, a venture that you've now kind of really started diving into, even from some of your days, with some of your side projects, um, pro football focus and, and other things. Uh, how, how do you find that that differs from incorporating just, uh, you know, software engineering into, uh, into sports science, but then also how, like, where do you kind of see that going and, and continuing to grow in the academic realm? 
Sure. Uh, great question. So you guys know this. You guys both came out of a research background, but you also both came out of a athletic performance background, right? Like you're both athletes. Um, you know, you were fierce competitors in the Dom's Bowl, which is our local kind of a <laughs> touch football game that we had here at ECU. Um, but, you know, my point with that is when you do research, a lot of times we try to control for everything, right? We try to minimize variation. We try to minimize randomness um, and to, to look at the, the effect of something, right? To, to see some kind of experimental manipulation, okay? And so there's, there's a lot of value in that. The hard part, and, and why I think analytics is really cool, it's taking what we know about each one of these little pieces right, that we get through the experimentation side of things, the research, the traditional research side of things, and then start to see if these kind of results hold up when you add all the variability and the noise to the, to the system, right, like the randomness, so to speak. And that's, you know, you try to find hidden meaning. Uh, you try to make sense of that noise area, okay? And so you, you kind of embrace it uh, when you start talking about sport analytics because you take all of these different things that can affect the outcome and instead of trying to control for them and, and get rid of them, right? You embrace them and you try to pick up, okay, what's, what's the most important or what's kind of shaking out here. And, and that's why I think that analytics, sport analytics in particular is, is so cool because it, you're starting to see kind of the fruits of that um, uh, just in the NFL, right? Scoring is up this year. More teams are going for it on fourth down. Uh, teams are going for it uh, two when they're down by, uh, you know, nine um, in games and everybody's like, why is that? And you're starting to see not only um, more coaches implementing those kind of uh, analytic strategies to, to make decisions in games. Right. Um, but you're also seeing the announcers now starting to catch on and be able to explain those concepts better to the fans. And then of course the fans are starting to now come along and, and understand what they're seeing. Right. So um, I think, in the future of, of sport, you know, these analytic decisions aren't going to be so mysterious anymore. Right. Uh, and I think that me as an educator from the educational side, it's my job to prepare my students to then also understand these analytics techniques and be able to apply it. And so that's why I, we, we have started a sports analytics class at ECU. Um, and I know that we're not unique uh, in terms of, having a data analytics, data science class, but we are one of the few um, sport analytics classes that is in a kinesiology department. Most of them are in your stats departments. Um, and so what we're hoping to do with, with our class is to give analytic skills that if you're going into a career in research, right, you have those skills kind of in your tool, set, uh, tool belt. Uh, if you're gonna be a physical therapist, you understand analytical thinking um, in order to make the next decision or to adapt your part, uh, patients um, rehabilitation protocols in a way that is timely and more effective for the patient. Um, you know, so those are just two examples. I mean, you could really go in, in any direction with, um, from a practical approach, um, analytics is valuable to a research approach. Analytics is valuable. So, um, I believe analytics and this analytic kind of techniques are kind of universally applicable, applicable in really any field that you go to these days, um, for the most part. Yeah, it sounds like uh, sounds like a conversation you and I had a few years ago when uh, you know you're just you're thinking about careers in the future and sure. and how to be 
prepared going forward. And I mean, when I came down and visited ECU looking at potentially getting my master's degree there, and you, you straight up told me like, if, if we work together, you're going to learn computer programming. And I, I'll be transparent. I pushed back on that a little bit. And was like, I don't want to do that. Yeah. <laughs> I, I want to, I want to go into, you know, biomechanics and, and sports science. And, and you said like, okay, but do you want a 21st century education and career, you know, or a, or a 20th century education and career? And I think that's a lot of what we try to talk about with Alto, but it's, it sounds like, you know, even as things continue to evolve faster and faster that you're, I think you're right. Incorporating analytics is really no different than the way we incorporate stats into science. Uh, you know, it's just, like you said, it's, it's now trying to explain the randomness rather than exclude it. Uh, but the reality is that, that especially most athletic performance things don't occur in a controlled environment. I mean, I think that's perhaps why there's been so much work done with baseball pitching and the golf swing is those are perhaps two of the most controlled events in all of, in all of athletics. Uh, but there's now, I mean, whether it's, hitting or goaltending or, or, I mean, you're doing some work with virtual reality or, or football linebackers. Like there's every, there's so many other things that uh, it's okay that they're not controlled. And now we're starting to develop the tools to handle it. And I, I think part of that goes back into my own experience as an athlete and just looking at athletes. Right. And you've had discussion, you, you have discussions with coaches all the time. That's like athletes don't fit into boxes, right? <laughs> uh, you have the prototypical athlete who is more of a freak than anything, right? Like you, you always say, oh, this is the prototypical guy. This is the guy we want, but that guy doesn't exist, right? Or that woman doesn't exist, um, you know, except once in a, you know, generation type thing, right? So I think that the more that coaches, like this one size fits all approach to either skill, te teaching a skill or, or injury reduction mechanisms or, um, you know, any of the things that we've kind of done traditionally, right? Um, heel striking, touch, whatever, right? So it, I think, one, with the increases in computer power, we can now analyze more data more quickly in order to come up with better individualized solutions, right? Sure. Um, more people understanding code, they write more efficient algorithms, right? The, the cream starts to rise to the top and more people can now share that code and share that information and get that out there in a variety of platforms so you don't have to go to... Um, there's not like these, there are experts, these, these local experts, but those local air exports now have a louder voice, right? You can share those ideas, um, through a GitHub account, or you can share those, um, implementations through these open source platforms that these people agree to, to work on. So I think you see this kind of, this, this kind of, um, integration of science and technology, right? So you, as technology increases, now the sport science increases, right? And so they are working hand in hand in conjunction with one another to try to uh, improve the, the science and our, our general understanding of a topic, right? Um, and it takes skills in both domains to really kind of maximize uh, your potential, I think. So that's, you know, one of the reasons why that's coding. Um, people are scared of the word coding. So I say, we're developing your technical skills. Um, <laughs> but that's true. That's exactly what you're doing, right? There's a lot of platforms now to make the learning curve in learning how to write code a lot uh, less steep. And so I think that's another uh, advantage going forward. Yeah. And, and I think programming languages, I, people are going to start 
creating the user interfaces that make creating like uh, statistical models much easier. So you don't have to code it out yourself. You know, yeah. it's, it'll be like a drag and drop for sure variables into this. And then, you know, it's just a user interface that people can access the kind of analytical techniques that you've been talking about uh, without writing the code themselves, which it's it got its pros and cons for sure. It's always good to write the code yourself because you get a, I, I feel like you probably get a better understanding of what's happening to the data when you do it yourself. Um, but giving people access to these kinds of analytical tools is, is always beneficial. For sure. So we usually uh, ask our guests where, where, where they want to see this kind of like whatever we've been talking about go in the next five to 10 years. But I feel like you've been doing that throughout the whole thing. <laughs> yeah. Sorry. So, so what, what I'm, <laughs> what I'm going to ask is uh, you know, you, you mentioned that ECU has this sports analytics um, course inside mm -hmm. the kinesiology department, which is kind of unique. Yep. Uh, I think a lot of kinesiology programs probably don't have that kind of thing. And even if they've got a sports analytics class, it's probably in another department and requires um, some lower level courses to actually get into that class. So yep. I'm wondering, you know, if, if you have any, any tips aside from Google, like do you have any specific resources that you rely on that, that students in kinesiology programs that want to pick up these skills, but don't have access to the courses at the university or college, or maybe they're in high school, like what, what other resources can people go to, to find out um, how to do some of this stuff? So there are some really, really nice, um, platforms available or, and tutorials. Uh, Code Academy is one that'll give you a really basic um, kind of guided uh, introduction to a programming language. Um, you'll have to figure out the applications, but I, I would really just recommend you guys just not doing a Google search necessarily, but there's a lot of tutorials that people have written um, that are content area specific. So I'm a, I want to be a sports scientist um, and I want to learn the programming language and this is how I did it. Right. And so they'll, they'll walk you through how to use, um, NFL fast, which is if you're interested in football data, you know, NFL fast R is a, a nice resource. They also have a Python, um, library and you can analyze play by play data. Uh, you could take a data science course, um, on code or Coursera or edX, um, in different areas. So there's, there's one for, um, bio, like, biological studies, uh, data science, um, or research-based data science. So there's a lot of that as well. And that's, that's all free. Um, there are paid tracks, but you can also just take the course for free. Uh, it takes a little discipline anytime you do these kind of tutorials. So you can get through them very easily and not pay attention, but you're not really going to learn anything. Um, but yeah, go online, look at those. Uh, LinkedIn Learning, if you have a subscription to that, um, a lot of universities actually have um, it, it, Linda became LinkedIn Learning when LinkedIn bought, bought them. Um, so there's a lot of resources up there to learn how to code and, and to have some practical problems uh, there as well. Um, also seek out mentors. Uh, there's a lot of, uh, at least in professional sport organizations, and, and that's kind of what I'm focused on right now. Um, there's a lot of mentorship programs, like the NFL just released a mentorship program where, especially for um, underserved communities, um, you know, people of color and, and women, uh, to, they will pair you with a data scientist that's working in a professional NFL organization um, and they'll mentor you directly. Uh, it's, a, it's a mentorship program, it's a nine month program. And at the end of it, you made a, a good contact. So um, follow people on Twitter uh, that 
are interested. So if you do, a, if whatever language that you're trying to learn, if you're trying to learn R, if you're trying to learn Python, go and Google or search Twitter for Python users, right? And um, follow some people that are interesting because a lot of times they'll post links to tutorials that people have written um, that are really, really nice uh, tools. So that's how I find my information, man. Just, um, yes, I have to use Google to search for this stuff, but once I get there, um, you know, start to kind of cultivate, create a bookmark, a folder of bookmarks of different resources for you to, to, to learn these kind of things. And I will say too, most of the programming languages that you try to learn have pretty good um, tutorials, like get you start getting started tutorials. Um, and then you'll just have to think of a problem uh, eventually to apply the skills. Right. Yeah, I mean, it's definitely some great advice. And I mean, I think I think that's something that we, we definitely learned from you from day one is that there's maybe not just one resource. There's lots of them, uh, but there's ample things out there. Part of it, I guess, is, is just getting started, right? And that was what, yep. that was what you always try to teach us. Just get, you got to start typing. Uh, <laughs> right. As soon as, as soon as you do that, then you'll, you'll figure out where to go. But, well, Patrick, we're, we're about out of time here, but we definitely appreciate you taking some time to join us today. I know it's a busy semester and an odd semester for you guys there at ECU, but, uh, thanks for taking some time and, and for the foundation that you definitely set for both of us. We are very grateful. Yeah. Thank you guys 100%. so much. And good luck to you. Yeah. Yeah. Absolutely. Well, that's going to wrap it up for this week. Uh, be sure to check us out on altosportsperformance.com and on all of our social media accounts to stay up to date with the latest. Uh -huh.